and welcome to episode 212 of SMARTS, which, as you know, stands for Star Misfits Arrange Resistance Through Solidarity. Ooh. Oh, thank you very much. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame-Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, a.k.a. Rodiger Q Podcaster. Hello. Hi. Ready for some news? I am ready. Okay, so we've got a bunch of exciting news this week, which Ooh. I don't think you're aware of any of it. Let me grab a snack. Fire away. No. Okay, you're back already. Um, no eating. On, there's no eating in podcast. No. Nope. All right. So okay. the first news is the deadline has reported that director Peyton Reed, um, director of Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, has officially signed on to direct a third Ant-Man movie. Squee! Good. And according to Michael Douglas, it'll st- it won't start filming for another year or so, but apparently it's on Disney's slate for, you know, three years from now or whatever, however far out they plan these things. So Oof. it'll be a while before it happens because they've already fully announced their slate for the next couple of years, but at least we know that it's happening. All right. That's awesome. Good. Yay. And in TV news, mm-hmm. um, Warner Media did a big gala unveiling of their plans for their streaming service, HBO Max. So remember, we've talked before about how even though we have DC Universe, um, DC Comics is obviously part of the Warner Media empire, and they're announcing this omnibus streaming service to compete with Disney Plus and all these others, and there'll right. be DC content on there, and then presumably DC Universe will just continue to be a subset of it. Anyway, it's this weird coexistence that will presumably continue to happen for a while, but not surprisingly, they've announced some exclusive DC content for the service. So okay. they've announced three shows to start, um, DC Superhero High, which will be a, a comedy, a live-action comedy that will focus on... Uh, a high school setting for like superpowered people f- for characters that are destined to grow up to become major DC superheroes. Awesome. So it could be like, you know, Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, and Diana Prince in high school kind of thing, which is a premise which has been done in young adult books and stuff like that before. Um, this, but this will be like a more lighthearted comedy, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, comedy slash teen drama, I guess, is kind of the. Funny. The I guess maybe like, I don't know, for some reason, this wasn't a teen drama, but for some reason the show that pops into my mind is something like Scrubs, mm-hmm. where it's both a comedy and kind of a human interest drama kind of thing. Um, they've announced, th- this is, I don't think anybody saw this coming, a Green Lantern live action television series. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess wow. we're going to get this before we get any kind of n- new Green Lantern live action movie, presumably. Wow. Um, all these shows are probably a couple of years away, of course, but we're going to be getting a live-action Green Lantern TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, they also announced Strange Adventures, which Tom King immediately tweeted that was quick because he is, his next project with his um, Mr. Miracle collaborators is Strange Adventures, That's which is going so to be an Adam funny. Strange series, and it's already, they've already, they're already adapted. So, but this is not going to be necessarily an adaptation of Tom King's upcoming stuff because it hasn't, hasn't really been, been written, written yet. yet. <laughs> um, this will be so. There were the reports on this were mixed, almost like the the PR got their wires crossed. One report said this will be like a, a live action Adam Strange TV series. Another said this will be more like a sci fi anthology show that will focus on different sci fi DC heroes, um, and we'll just start with Adam Strange. So it's a little unclear which of those it is, but at the very least, we're going to be getting some live action Adam Strange stuff. And it's only the only question is whether it will then move on to focus on other, mm-hmm. you know, like you know rebels and space cabbie and tommy tomorrow and whoever else they they choose to use yeah um or whether it'll just be focused on adam strange but that's cool um and then the last thing they announced in addition to those three tv series is a uh director's cut version of jo- uh, i guess you technically have to say Zack snyder's but really joss whedon's um justice league movie mm-hmm. 
So this will be a new expanded version of um, Justice League with additional footage shot by Joss Whedon. Yep. A bunch of people got excited because I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's this huge, I guess huge is perhaps overselling it, but this vociferous fan movement, hashtag release the Snyder Cut, right? Yeah. Because more and more indications have been coming out that despite what was said at the time where Zack Snyder hadn't finished shooting the movie and Joss Whedon was really coming in to complete it, there's been more and more hints that basically Snyder completed his movie. It was scored. There were even visual effects that were near completed. And then Warner Brothers was like, you know what? Let's get Joss Whedon in to reshoot a lot of this and make a different movie, basically. Mm -hmm. But Snyder's version is apparently near complete and and existing. So when, when... the, this information was going by. A lot of fans were like, wow, uh, an actual, like, this is going to be the Snyder Cut. No, it's just going to be more Joss Whedon stuff. So if you like the Justice League movie, this will be more of that. But it's not what a lot of fans were hoping for, which is Zack Snyder's original, you know, I, I think the more, so, I mean, we don't want to go down this rabbit hole again, but I think the more you've watched, say, Batman v Superman, particularly the extended edition, the yeah. more you've come to, like, appreciate what it was what it was going for and its unique take on these characters in this world. I would like to see what Zack Snyder was intending to do with with Justice League, especially mm-hmm. the more little tidbits he's been dropping, like, oh, here's where Darkseid was going to be, and General Swanwick was going to be Martian Manhunter, and all this, like, was that going to be in there? Like, mm-hmm. so I, I want to see all that. There was going to be a lot more cyborg stuff, apparently. Iris West was going to be in there, and she was completely cut out of the finished version. Um, so I want to see, I want to see all that. Well, who knows if we ever will, but maybe this is... I don't know, and and I don't know if it's either a doubling down on Whedon's version or it's an indication that they're willing to put like different, you know, cuts of a movie on this service, and so maybe they'll eventually the, the Snyder cut will happen. Anyway, so at the very least, we're now we're getting this superhero, um, teen comedy thing. We mm-hmm. know we're getting a Green Lantern live action series, which is crazy, and we're now we're getting this Strange Adventures thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are going to be HBO Max originals. I wonder whether they'll eventually appear on DC Universe as well. I mean, they almost certainly won't. I suppose it's possible they could premiere on DC Universe day and date, but I think it's more likely that it'll be like when DC Universe, like six months or a year after a new live action movie or TV series premieres, it'll go and it'll end up on DC Universe, and this will be similar. So maybe like HBO Max will have these new things for a year, and then when the seasons wrap, mm-hmm. they'll also appear on DC Universe for a limited amount of time. But I don't know. There's this the situation is still a little odd the way they're going to have these two streaming. So it'd be like if Disney had Disney Plus and a streaming service just for Star Wars stuff. Yeah. And we were expected mm. to believe that the two would continue to coexist with unique content on both services. It would be a weird situation. That is That's weird. basically what we have here. Yeah. So I don't know how much longer it can continue, but at least we're continuing to get good shows yeah. from DC Universe mm-hmm. and hopefully these new shows will be good too. Um, it's just a question of how long it will continue. Um, now this is this is a very geeky. Um, I guess it's not surprising for our, our remit, but this is a very uh, specific thing to be. Um, <laughs> this is literally a news item about an image that was tweeted. Um, but we talked before. I don't think it was on the show, but I mentioned to you before that Dan DiDio at a recent convention has said that they realized that one of the things they they did wrong with the new Fifty Two and some of the stuff that came after that was they didn't really have behind the scenes a concrete timeline of events in the DC universe, like here's when this character debuted, here's when this character met this character, mm-hmm. here's when this character retired, here's when here's you know when this character died relative to when this character was came back from the dead or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a bunch of editors and writers sometimes working at cross purposes. And that's definitely true. The new 52 was all over the place. Um, even recently, although they kind of have themselves 
an out with the Dr. Manhattan stuff. Yeah. There's still a lot of stuff, even in the current things, where you're like, wait, that doesn't, that conflicts with this. And like in the Bendis Superman stuff, it's like, it seems like everything counts, but then you go over and read something else and it's definitely more New 52 influenced. There was, um, even this this past week, we read the Wonder Woman annual and the Nightwing annual. Mm-hmm. And the Nightwing annual made it seem like um, Dick Grayson's parents died 20 years ago was like actually the number that they said in the comic. And yeah. the Wonder Woman annual said, oh, Wonder Woman saved this girl from this terrorist operation 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are some of the... and it, But for a while, they were leading us to believe that these characters only had like five-year histories. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's been revised and revised. Now with like John mm-hmm. Kent around, mm-hmm. it seems like it's we're operating more from like a 15, 10 to 15-year history. But this is still way up in the air and stuff is contradicting other stuff. And it's like, oh, it's fine because Dr. Manhattan is doing whatever and yada, yada, doomsday clock. He'll all make sense eventually kind of thing. But still, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a mess because there's mm-hmm. all sorts of conflicting information about did this count? Did this not count? Were these two characters ever married? Did these characters ever meet? Was this, did this incarnation of the Justice League ever exist? Yeah. Like, did Booster Gold and Blue Beetle even, were they even on the Justice League together? Because sometimes it seems like they were, and other times it's like, no, there's only been one. So it's very, it's, everything's up in the air. So Dan Didio said, we need, we need, whether he's right or not, his, his contention is that one of the things they realize that they need going forward is a concrete DC timeline. And so everybody was like, oh, that makes sense. It's a good idea. It'll probably just codify the more recent version that we've been seems like we've been going with where the characters have been around the modern superheroes have been around for 10 or 15 years and you know all this presumably all the justice league stuff and all this other stuff probably it counts again and and pretty much everything will be kind of like it was before the new 52 basically but with the new 52 era stories kind of happening in the recent past for Mm -hmm. these characters instead of being all that ever happened to them but um the DC Nation Twitter account tweeted out a, a like a quote unquote a, like a spy photo like oh Dan DiDio left his office door open we managed to get this photo of course it's an official photo that they decided to release yeah yeah <laughs> um, but they just did it in this cheeky way but it is an it is a photo of the first chunk of this official timeline and the internet basically exploded because <laughs> if this is the direction they're going this is going to be a complete reimagining of the status quo of the entire DC universe so. It seems like it's going to be broken up. What they said at conventions is going to be broken up into different eras. So there's like the World War II era, then like the era after that. I forget whether they called it like the Dark Ages, or the Dark Era, or whatever they called it, whether we're basically no superheroes, like after the Justice Society retired and before the modern age of heroes happened. Then like the Space the space Age, basically, mm-hmm. with like the, you know, the Kennedy era, sci-fi stuff happening. And then like the more modern era, then the New 52 era, and then like the Rebirth era, like the current era, or something like that, breaking down roughly into those epochs. But I think everybody assumed, oh, you know, Superman and all these modern characters, well, they'll, they'll be in the modern age. Like they're not going to suddenly say Superman is 70 years old or something like right. that. Well, maybe not. Because if you look at this image, it's broken down into, so G1Y1 basically means Generation 1, Year 1. Okay. Okay. So Generation One is apparently going to be the World War Two era. So Generation One, Year One, and then Generation Year One, Year Two, and it's got these columns, and then it's got rows indicating the pertinent events for each family of characters in the DC universe: a Batman family, Superman family, Wonder Woman. Um, what's the one below that? Teen Titans, and then below that is the the Flash and other related characters. Okay. So G One Y One, in other words, the first year of like the World War Two era. It says Krypton explodes, rocket crashes in Smallville. Okay, Ooh. rocket rocket crashed in Smallville in 1938. Is Superman going to be 80 years old now? This is the so this is the first thing on this timeline. 
right? Then below that, it says Wonder Woman debuts, Steve Trevor crashes on Thamers gear. Okay, so it seems like they're kind of going with Wonder Woman being the first superhero and debuting a long time ago. World War II instead of World War I, like the movie did. Right. But still, they're kind of going with that. I think a lot of people will be like, oh, well, she's usually immortal anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So having her be, and she was a member of the JSA back in the Golden Age comics anyway, so having her appear in the 30s or 40s, that kind of makes sense. Like, it's different than what we have now, where she's only been around for 10 or 15 years, but it's it's not that different. than. But having the Superman's rocket crash in Smallville at the same time is crazy. Like, is, he, is Superman going to suddenly be 80 years old? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how they're going to... And then you keep reading. A couple years later, the Wonder Woman stuff is kind of what you would expect. A couple years later, Wonder Woman joins the, the JSA. A couple years after that, JSA enters World War II. Uh, Priscilla Rich version of Cheetah debuts. Okay, this is still very interestingly. The last th part we can see on here: Wonder Woman retreats to Themyscira following atomic bomb drop. That's interesting, right? So it seems like they're kind of going with what the movies did, oh, or at least yeah. the Zack Snyder conception of her character, where she debuted, she fought in the war, but then she became disillusioned with man and sort of withdrew from the world for a long time, right? So that all that is kind of cool, and the movie is obviously really, really popular and out there in the zeitgeist. So hewing close to that kind of makes sense, right? But it's the Superman stuff that's crazy. So so Rocket Crash in Smallville in year one of the World War II era. A few years later, Thomas and Martha Wayne marry Bruce Wayne born, four years after that. So Bruce Wayne was born at the same time as the JSA enters World War II. Is Batman going to be 80 years old too? This is this is crazy making. So I don't, I mean, this is, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's true to the original versions, right? Because it seems like these characters are basically being born, they're sort of, saying their birth, the, the date of their birth is kind of around when the characters originally debuted. But when Superman debuted in 1938, obviously he wasn't a baby, he was an adult, right? But still, like they're kind of being true to that. But if you take this as written, literally speaking, that means that Superman is going to be 80 years old, right? So I don't know. Yeah. And this is just the first chunk of this timeline. So, so this is crazy stuff. And you scroll down to the bottom and it's got some Flash stuff on here. You know, Jay Garrick debuts as the Flash. Jay joins the JSA. And then you, you go down to the row below that, which we can't read what it is, but maybe it's like Birds of Prey related stuff. And you go over to a few years after World War II era, and it says Dinah Lanceborn. So, I mean, again, like it seems like that's kind of in line with what they're doing with the others. But it really seems like when they say they're breaking, they're, they're reconceptualizing the DC universe as a generational thing with these discrete eras, I think... A lot of people assume that, oh, when they say World War II, you're going to have the JSA. And then you're going to have this long period of time where pretty... That was the... I, I mean, it's not like the original or the pre-New 52 version of the timeline was perfect. Because you had the JSA in, the world, in World War II. And then you basically had a period of about 70 years where nothing happened, right? Because all the modern heroes like Superman and Batman debuted, you know, roughly 10 years ago from now. Whenever now is, Right. right. But that basically means that after the JSA was forced into retirement in the early 50s, there was about, you know, as the as we get later and later into the 21st century, that means there were basically 50 or 60 years where there were no superheroes and nothing much happening, right? Mm -hmm. Until Superman debuted 10 years ago from whenever now is, right? So that that was a little awkward and weird, but it seems like what they're doing is they're they're going back and they're filling all that stuff in. So in accordance with this, I would say that like, so so this means that, the, what they say is like the second age of the space age, right? The late, the 50s, early 60s, what we would call the silver age, is going to be roughly when people like Superman and Batman come to adulthood. Mm -hmm. 
And so the goal is the golden age going to be the JSA. The silver age would be the JLA, right? Superman, mm-hmm. Batman, the Dino Lance version of Black Canary, Barry Allen, Hal Jordan, maybe Wonder Woman comes out of retirement so she can be on the JLA too. That would be like the 50s, 60s, maybe early 70s. But then what? Like, obviously, there are other generations of heroes, like there's the Teen Titans that grow up to be the Titans, and then there's the Young Justice era heroes and so on. Like, are they basically going to have like one of those generations each? Like, and, and you figure this, like, does that mean Bruce Wayne adopts Dick Grayson in the 60s and Nightwing is now going to be 60 years old? Like, it, I, it boggles the mind. But it seems like what they want to do is they want to have a timeline where the the generations are more spread out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. they're just being the JSA and then 60 years where there's nothing. And the last 10 years, there's been like four generations of heroes, right? There's been like five Robins yeah. and and five generations of heroes, right? Yeah. They want to spread it out, which is which makes sense if you want to like sort of make everything even and flow better. But I just wonder what it means for the status quo of modern characters, because it really makes it seem like unless there's all sorts of crazy time travel shenanigans or, or for some reason characters don't age or something. Yeah. Like what, what are the modern book are all of a sudden are the, are the current is the current Batman series going to be about an 80 year old Bruce Wayne or are you going to pick up detective like is detect are they just going to like oh like, OK. I mean, there's been times like this before, like when the crisis happened, where you pick up the next issue of Batman and all of a sudden everything is completely different because the crisis happened and continuity was reset. But if anything, this is going to be an even harder break than that because even before and after the crisis, a lot of character stories kind of basically continued. It's just that their origins were different or whatever, but you could keep reading the comics and it would still seem like it more or less flowed. Um, But this is going to be like, are you going to read Detective Comics number 1020 and it'll be like more you know, Batman fighting Mr. Freeze stuff, just like we've been reading, and you pick up 1,021, and all of a sudden Bruce Wayne is 80 years old, Alfred's been dead for 50 years, and Bruce Wayne the third is Batman or something like that? Like, it boggles the mind what they're going to do. Either everybody's going to have to be super old, or you're going to have, the, like, if they if they, if they they go ahead and they do this, and it's like, what what is indicated by this timeline? Um, this is going to be the biggest status quo shakeup they've ever done because there'd be no way around having like, it's going to have to be like Damian Wayne is a 40-year-old Batman and, you know, John Kent is a 40-year-old Superman or something, right? Because there's no, there'd be no way around it. Unless you have the original characters be super old, you're going to have to have the second, third, fourth generations of these characters be the the characters that you're reading about on a month-to-month basis and everybody else is going to be like retired or dead, right? So I don't, I don't know. I, how do you how do you feel about this? I'm very confused. I don't know where it's going, and I don't have all the facts, so I can't really make too much conjecture about you know what I think about it, and um, what my guess is as to what they're going to do is. I mean, I'm thinking also maybe time jump is a possibility. Like if Mr. Manhattan screwed everything up so badly, maybe he just blows everything up um, at the end of Doomsday and throws people literally back in time so that they. Ex- I don't know, just exist in a different well, reality en- altogether. The ending of Doomsday Clock could set this up. Because yeah. the, the Doomsday Clock could end with the timeline being reset in some massive way. Um, but it could be reset that way. He could uh, throw our characters back in time. Or he could, um, I don't know, establish something weird where they were born back in time, but they exist now because they were pulled forward in time at some point um, altogether. So they have memories of existing in this timeline, 
and in this generation and then they 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 exist now which to them is the far future so that that could also be an alternative yeah but that's not i mean I, for all for as disruptive or they as, could just be immortal Sorry. for as disruptive as this is it is cleaner than the way things have been traditionally like i say which had all sorts of weird bumps because of like the sliding timeline but the jsa is locked to the 40s and so you've got these weird gaps and everybody's ages are kind of indeterminate and it doesn't really make a lot of sense this has been five robins and batman still looks like he's in his peak physical prime in his like early 30s or something like that yeah um, so in a lot of ways, this is cleaner. It's just way more disruptive. Mm-hmm. So if they go for this, like if they really go for it, this is this is definitely gutsy. Um, and we'll definitely, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of, I, I'm neither for this nor against it because it's all in the execution. I think that if this works, it could be really, it could be really interesting. And of course, um, I'd, I'd be a hypocrite if I said that it wasn't at least worth trying because I think I'm on record on many of our podcasting. One of the things I love about the DC stuff is the generational aspect of it. And I yeah. missed it when it was wiped away by the new 52. And I was like, oh, when are they going to bring back the young, young justice yeah. characters? When are they going to bring back the Legion? Like at that generational aspect. So this is definitely, double, this yeah, is definitely that was on your to-do this list. This is definitely doubling down, doubling down on that, right? Like yeah. it's definitely doing that. So, but it just raises all sorts of questions because there's all sorts of stories that are ongoing right now. Like yeah. Tom, Tom King's Batman run, like he's only got a few issues left on Batman, but then he's starting this twelve issue Batman Catwoman series that's gonna close off that's gonna close out his big mm-hmm. epic. Super arc. Right? Yeah. Grant Morrison has got this multi season thing planned on Green Lantern that we just finished season one of. Right. Joshua Williamson has got long term plans on the Flash and Scott Snyder has got whatever he and James Tiny and the fourth are building towards with um, with the whole Doom Perpetua thing and Justice League and these are plans which presumably have at least one or two more years of story left to them, right? At least a year in yeah. the Tom King Batman case. Yeah. So is this is the implementation of this timeline more than a year away? Maybe. And they're probably. just teasing it now? Maybe. I mean there there's there's definitely it wouldn't be unprecedented for them to completely upend their universe and then but then have a couple of series where they're like, you know what, just just finish we're, out we're what you were going to do. Yeah. Like like Grant Morrison was uh, was like 90% of the way through his epic multi-year Batman run when the New 52 happened. And huh. they're like, okay, Grant Morrison, just continue writing your Batman Incorporated series as if the New 52 never happened. Just mm-hmm. finish off your run and then we'll figure out how it fits into the New 52. But they didn't suddenly say, okay, Grant Morrison, your story is over. You know right. what I mean? So maybe this will happen six months from now and Tom King will just continue on with the story as if it didn't happen. And then when it ends, they'll have they'll figure out how it fits into this new timeline. Or maybe they'll say it all happened 50 years ago, right? Or whatever they say. Um but it does raise those sorts of questions. Now, it's not like if they've been planning for this for a long time, it's not like people like Jeff Johns, Tom King, Grant Morrison, it's not like this is going to be a surprise to them. They would have been in those meetings because they're the, the highest profile writers that DC has. And they have these writers retreats where the people that are writing the, the important books for DC or the largest number of books, you know, will come in and they'll be like, okay, here's what we're planning to do. And they'll, they'll, snow, they'll throw ideas around. They don't right. hand these things down like yeah. edicts. It's all yeah, a collaborative yeah, yeah. thing. So for all we know, this whole thing could have been Tom King's idea. I think it's much more likely it was Dan DiDio's with maybe Jeff Johns's input. Um, but it, it does boggle the mind as to how they're going to implement this. I think I think that you know when I mentioned it to you before, it's like oh they're going to have they're going to they're they're going to set this uh, break everything into eras and they're going to establish that Wonder Woman debuted um, in World War Two. You're like oh that's kind of like what they did in the movies. That kind and it's kind of cool to have the first DC hero be. Wonder Woman, right? Be a female hero like they, they kind of did in the movies instead of it being 
Although one could argue that Superman kind of deserves to be the first hero, and here he won't be because, but he hasn't been for a long time because he's been modern, and the JSA were were so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that part it seemed like it kind of made sense, but all this other stuff is is crazy making. But we'll have to wait and see what they do. But now, I mean, you know, like I'd be I'd be super excited to see any more of this timeline, <laughs> like. Like what else are they going to scroll down? And it's going to be—I mean, I feel like from this you get a sense of it. But I—I would—I'd—I'd I'd kill to see a snapshot of something near. Thing. Well, well, I mean, well, that's some, why they're calling it a teaser image. I know, but I—I—I—I I, I, I don't want to necessarily see more from the G one era. I want to see something from like G four. Like if you—if you skip forward to like the fourth generation, and we're looking at the eighties or nineties, is it going to be like, oh, Kyle Rayner's grandkids become like what? You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I want to see what that looks like now. Like let alone the present, but I want to see what. You know what I mean? I mean, given this information, you can kind of be like, okay, well then, like I say, you're going to have the JSA, then you're going to have the JLA, and then the Teen Titans era characters, like Wally West as the Flash, you know, Dick Grayson as Nightwing, that would maybe be around the 70s or 80s, like when the new Teen Titans were big, like when characters like Cyborg, Raven, and Starfire were created, Mm -hmm. maybe that will be the heyday of the Titans, kind of like it was in the comics, and that will be when those characters reach adulthood. You know, yeah. if Dick, Batman adopts Dick Grayson in 1960 and he becomes Nightwing in 1978 or 1980 or something, then the heyday of the Titans could be in the 80s like it was in the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tim Drake is created in the 90s, you know, so maybe characters like Tim Drake and Bart Allen and Connor Kent, they come along in the 90s. And like characters could basically debut when they debuted in the comics, except it wouldn't all have to be compressed into a 10-year timeline. So that at least is somewhat elegant and kind of kind of writes itself after a certain point but it, it just if you extrapolate from that to what the present would be yeah then you end up with i don't feel like i have enough information yeah, to extrapolate it's, it's, anywhere it's crazy so we'll yeah. have to see what they do but i i think it, i thought it was worth talking about because this is they just dropped this randomly on twitter i didn't even get a lot of press really mm-hmm. i mean people that saw it on twitter lost their lo- minds lost their minds yeah, but if you course. look at it, it's got like only like a couple hundred retweets or something like that it's not like it blew up Right. Everywhere. Yeah. Um, Wait it, for it. Because this, well, this, this, <laughs> new, tw- this new Twitter. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many people? Because this was like the first tweet from a new official DC account, this DC Nation Twitter. And this was their first tweet. I guess DC at DC Nation wasn't wasn't a, an official account until this. So this was their first tweet. So probably a lot of people weren't following it. And it got picked up by the sites and it was, you know, it ran as a news story. But yeah, I think that when we're really going to see this blow up is when they, if and when they actually release uh, the finished timeline to everybody or when we actually see indications that this is being implemented in the books then people are going to start to to really lose their minds because i think it's been flying under the radar so far but right. it's definitely interesting so should we move on to our comics, comics of, the, of week? the week yes what I'm was ready. your comic of the week so this week i was really charmed by at uh black adam year one charmed by black adam <laughs> uh well, he's yeah, got no. the pointy ears he's got the Sometimes he does have the pointy ears. Sometimes he does, yeah. Sometimes he's actually he's got just that sort. He's got that sort of else. like. Well, anyway, the, the book man was, of the desert swarthiness to him. Yeah, yes, the Lawrence of Arabia thing going. Yeah. Um, no, he's um, he's awesome in this book. Um, first off, he's defending his town, his, his town. country. Well, I don't know. It seems like Adam a town, town, right? Yeah, Adam Town. Um, North Adamton. Yes. Well, he's he's defending his nation, uh, Kandak, and um, the capital of which Sharuta is named after his late wife. Really? Yep. When he when he uh, deposed all the dictators and murdered them all and took over the country, he he, re- he made them rename the the capital city <laughs> after his dead wife. Awesome. <laughs> well, then there you go. Um, anyway, I really like that. 
we got to see what happens to what happened to um, uh, Billy Batson there, who's under the influence of the Joker serum, and goes and picks a fight with his enemy or who he thinks of as his enemy. And Black Adam is there, very serene, very reasonable, very calm, and waiting for him. And not only that, but he is prepared to defend his um, home and his country. Um, but he does it in such an elegant way that when he's getting his butt beat by a possessed, his butt beat by Billy Batson. Yeah, butt beat by Billy Batson. Um, he. He still doesn't give up, and not only that, but he realizes that a good deal of his strength actually comes from the people that he is serving and protecting. And they, the people, band up, and all of the all of the prayers that they're sending up into the ether give him extra power and are able to defeat this possessed version of Shazam Um and I just really like the dialogue. I like the introspective nature of who Black Adam is because as as I've ever seen him, he's always been a two-dimensional bad guy. But here he's a three-dimensional, reasonable hero persona. Yeah, well, you should, you've got to read and Jeff Johns' JSA I know, I, and then 52. You were mentioning it, and I'm, in, I'm intrigued. I'm excited to read more about that. And not only that, but I got a window into um, the... Egyptology version of the the pantheon of gods that give Black Adam his power, which was really cool. You know the strength and the here and the the wisdom and Atan and Zehuti mm-hmm. and exactly yeah. And so the rest. and the rest I know. So now the I've got more. Marianne. I've got yes. So now I've got more learning to do so that I can you know bone up on my own Egyptology. And bone we shall. What. <laughs> right i'm gonna move right past that one (laughs) and anyway yeah that to sum up that's why i picked it for my comic of the week it was a really surprising issue it was great it was the the dialogue was really good and the portrayal of the characters was really good and made me see a new side of black adam altogether and i really liked it so that's why i picked it for my comic of the week very good what did you pick i picked batman annual number four Nice. Which is tom king's sort of love letter to batman's history and his versatility this is very. This is very. I, this issue felt like it could have been written by Grant Morrison I know. because Grant Morrison, his, his whole thing, you know, without repeating myself or the singing the praise of Grant Morrison's Batman run, but his whole thing is that all the different eras of Batman, as contradictory and insane as some of them may seem, that all happened to the same guy. And what would he be like today if he'd been Batman for like twenty years, and he'd had a period where he was this dark, mysterious figure with the purple gloves and the weird pointy ears for a while. And then things kind of got light and silly for the while, for a while, and Joker stopped killing people and just started robbing banks and driving around a Joker mobile. And he and Robin were were chums and were uh, having a laugh at the end of every adventure. And things things kind of got dark again for a while, and weird people like Man Bat and Rachel Ghoul showed up. Mm-hmm. And then things got really grim and gritty in the '90s. And then, like, what if all this stuff had happened to one man? What would what would he be like today? And so all of this, all of Batman's history was in play. And so he would have stories where. It would juxtapose the crazy sci-fi stories like the zebra Batman or whatever, or right. the Batman of Zuranar from the 1950s with the Frank Miller stuff. Or, or the rainbow or, color Batman. Or all sorts of things like that. And I feel like this is this is very similar, and it's a, a little more grounded than that. There's really only one or two um, sequences here that are insane, weird, yeah, cosmic sci-fi, it, yeah. like Doctor Strange stuff, and the rest of it is pretty down-to-earth, but... Um, Quite literally on Earth, it's yeah. A series of, it's a series <laughs> of vignettes where we see Batman... Uh, every day 
through the eyes of through the through the diary writings of Alfred. Right. Each day he has each day he does a different thing, whether it's like consoling this person or beating this person in a boxing match for charity or solving this crime or do or doing whatever. And then it sort of speeds up where instead of having like five or six pages per day, then by the end we're getting a page that has eight or ten panels, and each panel is a different day. And we see him doing basically everything Batman has ever done through his history. Like he's he's in space with like the big bubble space helmet over his Batman cowl, doing some like repairs to the space station, mm-hmm. or he's he's t- talking down this cosmic entity, or he's doing a shirtless boxing match, or he's consoling a widow, or he's solving this this locked room mystery, or he's giving Tim Drake a hug on the anniversary of his father's murder, or he's you know what I mean, all yeah. the different versions of Batman. Um, and it's and it's just that like it's a it's a love letter to Batman's history and it's it um, it's really sums up the I would say the modern conception of Batman that really I would say started with Grant Morrison and is really still also present through Scott Snyder and also Tom King which is not like the grim psychologically broken man child of the eighties and nineties but is like this um, person who exemplifies. Um, perseverance and determination and like a man can do anything that he sets his mind to you know mm-hmm. and that and the, the batman can be an inspirational figure because he is the one person that will always fight back he's the one person that will never give up he is the one person that says to gotham you can be better you don't have to give in to your worst impulses you can choose to do good no matter how dark things seem right and that's a complete 180 from you know the frank miller era where it was all about you know, a broken man doing well, broken yeah, things. Yeah, like he right. was. You got the sense that like he was as he was as crazy as the people he fought. It's yeah. just that because he was on the cop side, everybody kind of looked the other way. And that's like an interesting version of Batman. But I feel like it kind of ran its course. Mm-hmm. And now we have this like apex man, Batman, like the Bat God, as people would say about Batman, as he was written by Grant Morrison in JLA, where he could take down a group of white Martians or Dark Side or whatever, just because he always had a plan, right? And that that sort of gets cartoonish after a while too. But it was the kind of version of Batman you needed to write for JLA where he was fighting alongside these incredibly powerful characters. But even here in the context of just existing in Gotham, the idea that he can do all these things, that a, that a person can do all of these things if they just set their mind to it, is inspirational. And yeah. I feel like the, the 2000s, 2010s version of Batman is is a figure of um, sort of... Uh, of of um, something to aspire to as an aspirational figure, a figure of rebellion in a way. Like you don't yes. have to be ground down by the system. Mm-hmm. You can you can you can you know shout back at the darkness. You can fight back. You can you know you can push back against the people that are telling you you have to be this or that you can't do this yeah, or but that you have also... to give into this or that you always have to be defined by your worst moment. You don't have to be because for a long time Batman was defined by his worst moment, right? Mm-hmm. And of course. You could argue he still is, because if you ask anyone on the street what they know about Batman, it'll be about his tragic origins, right? Right. But the modern version of Batman is you don't have to be defined by that. You can you can use that to fuel yourself. That that can be the source of your willpower, almost in a Green Lantern kind of way. That can you can use that to drive you and and to to um, to fight to make sure that never happens to anybody else. And that can be something which is uh, inspirational and aspirational. So, And I feel like it's summed up very well here, uh, just as well as it has been by someone like Scott Snyder or Tom King or Jeff John. So Agreed. I think it was a really good issue. I really, I, I, I also have to say, like, for one of the superheroes that is known for not having actual superpowers, he is a man, but he is... 
he surpasses almost everybody else in terms of boundless imagination, skill, honor, and the t- determination to set things right. Like he squeezes every single ounce of his own energies out into the world to make it a better place and that's a nice representation for him and I also really like this issue too because it characterized Alfred's thoughts and feelings on the entire matter and we got to see even more the father Alfred um, written down and saying yeah I knew I knew my boy I, I couldn't stop him from doing this when he was seven and I certainly can't stop him now that he's a man and all I'm here to do is to support and worry <laughs> Um, and that's just, it's also, I just, I love Alfred too, you know, the way he was written in this form. Um, and his diary was a good framing device for all of this. So I, I like this issue too, very much. Yeah. It's great. Very good. So now should we move on to your pop quiz? Yes, I'm ready. So because of our, our news item that we talked about, I'm going to be quizzing oh you about DC timeline weirdness. I was really afraid of this. <laughs> oh no. You were right to be afraid. So ah, number one. Okay. <laughs> to bridge the gap between the JSA and JLA, oh, here we go. DC introduced a new team that operated in the 60s and 70s. Oh, God. What was their name? Was it the Justice Battalion, the Justice Legion, the Justice Force, or the Justice Experience? Well, the Justice Legion sounds pretty good, so I'm just going to go with that. No, it was the Justice Experience. Oh, my God. Wow. All right. Okay. Flower children, well done. Number two. Yes. To explain how the JSA members and their spouses could still be alive today, DC established that they aged more slowly because... Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Was it because they were exposed... <laughs> what in the world? Okay. The, the autocorrect... What did you do? <laughs> okay. I typed, <laughs> they were exposed to mild radiation from Vandal Savage's Comet. Okay. okay. Or Meteor or whatever the heck it was. Sure. It autocorrected it to, they were exposed to milk radiation. <laughs> All right, so they were exposed I to... I always drink my milk. <laughs> it's vitamin R that keeps Vandal Savage. I know. Savage. All right, they were exposed to milk... Vitamin ra- radiation. They were exposed to milk <laughs> radiation from Vandal Savage's comet, okay? Yes. Okay. They were, given, they were given blood transfusions from the shade. They were bathed in energy from the magical being Ian Carcool. Or they were bathed in time particles during a battle with Kronos. Ooh, I'm going to go with the Kronos thing. No, they were bathed in energy from the magical being Ian Carcool. Who is that? Okay. Technically, you have seen Carcool before, although uh-huh. they retooled him from being like a person to being like this ancient magical entity. He was the villain in the episode of Superman the Animated Series where Dr. Fate appeared. I do not He was like this that. shadowy uh, black demon figure I with mean, like this cloak. A, that doesn't he, narrow it he down. He put this magical force field around the Daily Planet and he was transforming oh, yeah. all the people inside it into like demon versions This I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Superman had to go convince Dr. Fate to come out of retirement and Jennifer Leon played uh, his wife and he had to convince him to that's come, right, and, that's come right. back and fight. Yeah. Before he was Oded Fair, he was whoever played him in that one. <laughs> all right, number three. After the crisis established that Superman had never been Superboy... The Superboy serving in the Legion was revealed to be a Durlin shapeshifter from a pocket universe created by the Time Trapper, still the original Superboy preserved by the Monitor, or the last survivor of another hypertime timeline. Uh, why? Oh, just why? Good God, how am I supposed to even have a shot at getting this? You know this is all just one in four, right? Okay. Um, 
Um, I pick the. I pick the Durlin shapeshifter. No, he was from a pocket universe created by the Time Trapper. That was going to be my guess, but I picked the wrong thing. Yes, you did. All right, number four. <laughs> yeah. In Infinite Crisis, many of the continuity changes that occurred after Crisis on Infinite Earth were revealed to have been due to. Okay, you right? You following me? I'm with you. All right. What were they due to? Were they due to Superboy Prime punching the walls of reality? <laughs> Dark side polluting time with the anti-life equation? Flash continuing to travel through time? Or the continued meddling of the anti-monitor? Oh, man. Ooh! Anti-monitor. No, it was due to Superboy Prime punching the walls of reality. It Really? Believe it I, or not. If you all could see my face, I don't think I have got muscles left that aren't aching. I think it's pretty impressive that I can come up with all these nonsense yeah. um, false options. Good. You've Give, clearly read comics. You've been steeped com in comics. Dark side polluting time with the anti-life equation does seem like something that could happen, yeah. doesn't it? It doesn't make any sense. No. It's complete gibberish. Absolutely. But it does seem like it could be the basis That's, for a multi-year multi long event. These are all words that exist in the dictionary. They're just arranged in a very clever and very right. unique this one, way. This one I think you might actually know. Number five, although I've been wrong about that before. <laughs> Number five, to preserve Wonder Woman's history with the JSA, post-crisis comics established that the Wonder Woman that fought crime in the 1940s was in fact, all right, was it Diana sent back in time, Hippolyta sent back in time, a Wonder Woman from another Earth, or a human woman empowered by the gods to become the first Wonder Woman? Oh, that's good. You know what, since... They squished a whole bunch of planets. I'm just gonna go say the uh, the third one. No, wait, the other one. The the Wonder Woman sent no from from another Earth. There you go. No, it was Hippolyta sent back in time. Oh man, that was gonna be my guess. You mentioned it, but then okay, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so you got zero out of five. No, I got I got, I'm taking two of them because. <laughs> wait, did I get the first one just wrong? Just because yes. Just because because I was really close to getting it right. I mean. <laughs> if you'd had, you had three more guesses, you would have definitely gotten almost all of them. Well, Emo really I'm counts. telling you, emotionally, I was like reaching for one, and then I wound up picking the other. Like, it was that close. Your mouth said yes, but your heart said D. Is that what happened? What is happening? <laughs> all right. Now I'm hungry. We're going off the rails. Should we move on to our shows? Yes. Okay. So this week we're talking about Star Wars Resistance, Batwoman, Supergirl, Flash, and uh, Arrow, and Titans. Sounds good. So Star Spoiler Wars Resistance. Warning. Yes, Star Wars Resistance was called The Engineer. Um, we that just was watched nice. this the other day. So Kaz and Tora, no, Kaz and Sonara, yeah. pick up um, a, another Nikto like uh, like Niku. What is. did you Ni say? Nikto. It's not a slur. It's the name of their species. Nick, the, the, they're called. They're the Nikto. Is the name of the species. But she doesn't look like... Um, yeah, she's a member of Nico, Nico's species. They have the same black eyes and little horn things around the periphery of their face. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was from his species. Okay. Was that not clear in the uh, in the episode? I mean, I thought they were similar, but I didn't realize they were from the same yeah, species. No, they, were. they were completely different, you know, uh, structurally. I don't know. It just... He had more... Of, I thought they were from, like, related planets, but not from the actual species. No, I think species. they were supposed to be the same species. All right. Um... So they pick her up, and it seems like she's going to be a good guy, but then it turns out she's a bad guy. I smelled it from a mile away. Yeah, I knew she was an interloper. 
yeah, I wondered about it. I thought it was, I thought it might have been just like a, an excuse to, like, I didn't think she'd be staying, but I thought it might have been, they create, like, they want to create, like, a love interest character for, Nico, for him. yeah. But then she would have to leave to, you know, she would have to, like, sacrifice herself or, or leave because she's being tracked by the First Order and she would choose to save everybody else or whatever, but instead they went, they went in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah, but it was good. I thought that I thought that the pacing was good. That it kind of kept you guessing because you weren't really sure about her the whole way through. I thought the actress well, that played her did a, did a good yeah, job. Yeah, she did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I thought that it was good. I, I thought that uh, it was better than the the last couple of episodes have been. I they, think it would have thrown good, me for a loop if they actually made her a good guy, like not like sacrifice herself in the end to save to to atone good guy. I mean, like legit, like good guy, and that everybody would be suspecting her, but it actually would be for naught. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, so, uh, yeah. So we watch Batwoman. So this one's called Who Are You? So mm-hmm. in this one, she fights against um, Magpie. Yeah. And uh, there's further developments with, we discover that uh, Catherine uh, faked yeah. the bone fragments in DNA. That so we, answers we that question. We talked about this a couple weeks yeah. ago. We were theorizing as to what it could have been, like whether, because I even theorized that Jacob was the one that, um, made it up so yeah, that he could I give his never, daughter. Never yeah, in never in many years. years. Yeah, especially since you know him better than is this I do. The, but this, this is exactly the move that was pulled. It's just I picked the wrong character to pull it. Yeah, does this did this strike you as, I don't know, I'm of two minds about whether this is sort of the kind of thing that a character on a TV show would do that a real person would never do. Is this the kind of thing that you'd strikes you that, because she did this because she cared about him, right? But does yes. this strike you as the kind of thing that, a, that an actual person in the real world would do because they care about someone? It seems like the kind no, of thing that a TV writer that a TV writer would have someone do yes. because they care about someone. Yep. Because there's no way, like, I mean, it did. Did it? Did it help them? I guess maybe, arguably, it did help them because they moved on. Right. But the thought that he would be happier this way, then I mean, I don't know. I mean, it does. You can kind of see her logic, but the idea that if he that if presented with the options that he would choose to give up on his like she must have known that that's not what he would want, so she must have known she was doing something that he would never choose in a million years, just to give him some some peace, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that a that a real person would do. Like if you actually cared about this person, you wouldn't want them to to believe their daughter dead. You know what I mean? Like you'd want them you'd want them to find some peace, but you want them to find it legitimately, not yeah. not by giving up their daughter for dead. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like the kind of thing a real person would do in the real world. No. It seems like like the kind of thing a TV writer would write for melodrama. Mm-hmm. Um I mean it was an interesting twist and I am curious where it goes from here, but I I'm not sure I buy it as something that I maybe it's just because we don't really know too much about her character. If if they'd previously established that she was a manipulative um secretive sort who 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 doesn't really you know think through people's feelings and the effects that her own actions might have then it might come across as more believable i mean because we don't know much about her we don't know that she's not that but we don't know that she is either and so it sort of seemed like it came out of left field Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um but i definitely didn't see it coming i didn't see that coming um the fight with Magpie was was interesting. I felt like she was ultimately taken down. Like the way she was ultimately defeated was seemed a little abrupt. Like the, the, <laughs> I see, liked it. It seems like they're gearing up for like this epic chase, right? Yeah, yeah. And it said like, oh, there she is swinging across buildings, <laughs> and Batwoman just like fires a grappling hook that hits her, and she pulls her down off screen. That like, was oh. dope. Like, apparently, she falls two or three stories <laughs> and is completely fine. Into a pool. 
Yeah, but it's like you felt like we were gearing up for the big battle. It's I know. Like, oh, there she is, tug, and it's the, it's over. I liked it. I liked it because it was smart, and I really love Batwoman smart. I just thought it was great. It was it was the natural solution to the problem. Like, oh, there she is. I have a grappling hook. Yeah, Let's make but this when, happen. when you're supposed to believe she's she's gonna she's this <laughs> tricky villain to capture for 45 minutes, and then she gets taken down so easily at the end, it makes you feel like an idiot for thinking it was going to be tricky in the first place. You know what I mean? If you build her up to be the big villain of the episode you shouldn't just dispatch her so quickly at the end i mean Unless so far they've only really had way. no because so far they've had like lame villains and this one was actually pretty clever and and all all things considered she was a two-dimensional thief and then even her um you know window of depth and, and commentary on on privilege like at the end of it was was still a little well, on the shallow was, side but that I mean, was i mean that was pretty dumb yeah <laughs> the, the idea that yeah i mean we don't need to talk about the idea that you're it's okay to steal from people because you've had a hard life is obviously dumb um so i'm not sure how sympathetic the character was supposed to be right exactly did you know my uh, trivia did you know that after Crisis on Infinite Earths, when John Byrne was doing his Man of Steel miniseries, which was rebooting Superman, and he and he told the story of the first meeting between Superman and Batman, and it was here that their long-standing the the, the notion that they work together it's it's kind of it's been sort of done away with recently, and they're back to sort of being best friends basically. Okay. But, but there was a long time there where it was the way their relationship started in the cartoons or even in the modern movies, where it's like they'll work together, but they don't like each other because they're opposites. You know what I mean? And they, they, they each are sort of secretly secretly wondering when they might have to take the other down kind of thing, right? So what's the trivia part? Well, the, when John Byrne wrote their first meeting and it very much got them off on that foot for the first time in those characters' histories, the villain that they actually had to team up to catch was Magpie. Oh, so she was created, I think she was a new character created for that story by John Byrne. And so that's her claim to fame is that for 20 years or so for the post-crisis history before it was, you know, all rebooted again, she was the first villain that Superman and Batman ever faced together. Yeah. Sort of a sort of a lame uh, one-note villain to, to bear that. Um, I mean, it's, I'd much more prefer when you do something like the, car- like the cartoons did. Where the first time they met it was because the Joker and Lex Luthor had teamed up. That's that's a little um, convenient, but it's it also has a sort of symmetry and and fun to it. Where it's like, oh, there's this villain with this weird hairdo that's stealing things, and it's going to take both of us to, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. Also, yeah. Anyway, that's why people remember her. It's funny. Um, so Supergirl. So we get some some movement here on the um, the Malefic uh, story. Yep. So they. They capture him seemingly at the end, mm-hmm. um, but it turns out that Lena captured him, yep. right? Yeah, she redirected the because uh, I, I called it during the episode. You were surprised by the by the twist ending where he wound up in, not in the Phantom Zone where he was supposed to go because that was the Phantom Zone projector, um, but actually in a holding cell of Lena's making. And I totally knew it when she was tinkering with the thing. I mean, they they did give you the hints. They did give you the tools to see it coming um, because, you know, she sort of was talking to Hope at the beginning there about what she intended to do or what her motivation was to, to use the Martian mind frequencies to finish her objective of basically mind controlling the entire human race into being better. Um so we knew that she would need a Martian and we knew that she wouldn't get her hands on the protagonist of the series. So she would, you know, need to get her hands on uh, Malefic. And that's exactly what she did. <gasps> trust her with the trust her with tinkering with the uh, phantom projector. And this is what you get. Right. 
So I that's th- nice. I think the the most interesting parts of this episode, though, were the all the stuff with James, James and Kelly yes. going back to the town they grew up in, and uh, him deciding at the end. So we talked about how he's leaving the show, and we sort of said, "Oh, it really seemed like they were setting him up. Oh, he's going to go take over this other company, or he's going right. to go become Be a, a senator, senator or whatever." Um, which felt like such such a um, innocuous, an sort obvious of... TV TV way of oh, yeah, like, yeah. oh, they're going to Washington, and that's why we're never going to see them anymore. Like I feel like that's such a cliched TV thing to do. Right. Um, they're going to go run for office, and that's why we never see them again. Um, but I, I, it was actually clever of them to make us think that that's where that what they were going to do, and instead he ends up basically going back to his roots, moving back to this sort of dilapidated town and taking over the small town newspaper and and using it to try to fight against the injustice of this, you know, corrupt prison system that exists in this town now. Right. Um, I like the symmetry of him taking this kid under his wing, the way that he was taken under the wing of the guy that was working at the paper at the time. Um, the kid calls him chief and he says, don't call me chief, which is a thing that yeah, always used yeah. to happen between him and Perry. Um, he gives the kid his camera. His camera his dad's and camera. And he says, call me Jimmy, which is like, a, a, like he... Yeah. I, I like that. Like, that's a good note. If we, I think we will see him again because it seems like the kind of thing where it's not like the actor is leaving the show in a right, half. And they he gave just wants him, to do And it stuff. feels like they set him up for a spinoff too because they gave him a conflict within that town. Like, a prison system is going there and it's corrupt because it's sending people I don't up think, river. I mean, I don't think it's and, a setup for a spinoff right. because I think the, act, the I reason know. why the actor is leaving is because he, he, he wants, wants to, to pursue other, other opportunities. Things, yes. But I think but that I'm it's, saying it's, it's good. It's good to way. set him up with an interesting thing where we do wonder what's happening with him. Right. And so every year or two we check in. Check with, in. He, appear, exactly. he appears again. And we check in with him. But I do like that because it seems like, um, and I know the show got some guff for this at the beginning by saying, "Oh, because everybody's like, oh, who's going to play Jimmy Olsen on the show?" And it's like, oh, it's this like thirty-year-old buff African American guy with a shaved head, and he's going to be James Olsen. And mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, they're trying to make it's it's a. Of course, it was, what was it? It was NBC, not the CW at the time, right? Because remember the so, first yeah. year where it was on NBC. But it's like, oh, it's a modern network drama, so everybody's got to, everybody's got to be a sexy 20-something, right? With right. muscles. Right, right. Um, and so, of course, Jimmy Olsen is now sexy James, James Olsen, Olsen, right? yeah. Um, but I feel like they kind of played into that by like, it's not that he was pretending to be something that he wasn't. He really had grown up and matured and become a different person. Mm-hmm. But he realized that maybe in so doing, he'd kind of lost touch with who he used to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Just so the, I don't know. I like this the 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 full circle aspect of him saying to this kid, not just Call giving him Jimmy's. his camera, but because he's not in the same place. He's the editor now. Right, he's, right. He's he's the big town. He's the publisher. He's don't the bi- say editor because he's not editing. There's a I don't know. He can't work for a newspaper. He can't write articles, and he can't shoot photography for a newspaper. But he can publish one. Right. That's true. That was the legal distinction when he got canned from Catco. Right. But he can he can take he can sort of tell his kid to call him by his old name as a way of showing that he's sort of he's taken everything like his resources and what he's learned and it's probably considerable money that he's earned yeah. as well. He needs to buy this thing and run it. Um, he can take all these those things and use them for good, but he can also you know make this one small change, just like what this one kid calls him, if not everybody else, as a way of reflecting the fact that he's gotten back in touch with who he used to be. So, so I like that. Yep, me too. That was a great. That was a great uh, ending for his character. Yeah. So Flash this week, this one was called There Will Be Blood. And so this is the um, the first big showdown probably of many if these if past seasons are any indication. How many times did Flash fight Cicada before they ultimately took him down, right? 10, yeah. 12? Yeah. Um, between him and, um, I keep wanting to say Riley Rosmo, who's the artist on, <laughs> yeah. on Martian Manhunter. But no, it's Ramsey Rosa, right? Ramsey, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like his character kind of turned cartoonishly evil pretty fast. Yeah, that was fast. I feel like to make it to make it make sense, you really just have to say, well, like this stuff is affecting his mind or his whatever, psyche. right? Which yep. which is probably before, which is probably true, but, but it feel like that's kind of the the get out the, of, get out of characterization right. free card, right? It may be a trope, but it's effective. Yeah, but it is it is smart at least. I like it when the villains reflect the themes of the season, right? So you've got Barry, who's resigned himself to the fact that he's going to have to sacrifice himself for the greater good and that he's going to have to die. And yep. we'll talk about, you know, some of the scenes oh, in this episode that so play good. into that. But then you've got, as a counterpoint, this villain who also has a, a short amount of clock. time to live but is willing to do anything, even sacrifice many innocent lives, despite to- the fact that he tells himself he's doing it ultimately for the greater good because right, right. this this technology could be used to save many lives potentially. He's really just doing it for himself. Right. right? And so I like that just juxtaposition. Like, what was the... Yeah, the mirror images. You know, like, I, I remember last season, the cicada stuff didn't really start to be interesting for us until it became clear that what they were doing was setting up, you know, the Flash's child against Cicada's child as like you know what I mean like how best right. to follow in the foot like do you have to how beholden do you have to be to legacy like to the person mm-hmm. who raised you do, mm-hmm. do you can you choose to be different than they were and so they didn't really play up play that up as much as I wish they would have you know right. uh, Nora versus the the younger Cicada um, but I felt like that was when that cicada thing got interesting for me is when it was clear that that's what they were going to do, like the right. next generation and the lessons they've learned from the people that raised them. Right? right, right. And so here, this what I find interesting here is that sort of thematic juxtaposition. But the scenes here where Bear, this, the stuff with Cisco, um, I thought was I thought was good. I, I think it seems a little, I mean, I believe that he would go to, to pretty much any length to save Barry. But I feel like, again, it's kind of a TV thing to do where someone goes against what they know the person they care about would want. Right. Just to try to do them a favor or, or, or not do them a favor, but do something for their for the good of their friend, even though they know it's the last thing their friend would want. Right. That's something that people on TV do a lot that obviously people do in real life too, but I feel like people on TV do it a lot more, you know? Yep. Like Cisco would know the last thing Barry would want is to sacrifice an innocent person, much less a doctor that could go on to save thousands or even millions of lives just to keep him alive, right? right? And you could say that, and maybe, and maybe if they'd had a, a bit more dialogue in there, where Cisco was saying, you know, look, I'm, I'm a scientist. I, I did the math, right? Like the right. Flash can save way more lives than cure than any cure for any one kind of cancer could, right? And right. so that's why I think it's more important to keep you alive. They didn't have that in there. I feel like maybe you could kind of read between the lines that maybe that was part of his thought process. But I really just think we're supposed to think he doesn't want his friend to die. Right. It was more of like a decision. Uh, from the heart than it was any sort of like calculus he was doing cost benefit analysis. Um, so I, I don't know, to me, it's kind of believable he would do that because he does, you know, have that big heart, but I don't know, like it, it felt like a little bit of manufactured melodrama where, Oh, he's going to go against Barry's wishes and then Barry's going to confront him and they're yep. going to have a falling out yep. and then going to resolve it at the end of the episode. Um, but as, but as usual, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's, um, I'm blanking on the name of the actor that plays Joe. It's, it's, I feel oh so my terrible. God. Um, now Jesse. that I, Jesse Martin, right. Yeah. I don't know if it's the the actor or just that the writers are, I mean, it's at least, obviously, it's at least partly the actor, but I, I feel like the writers are often at their best when they're writing scenes between Barry and Joe yeah. also, and the way that scenes between like Barry and Cisco or Barry and whoever else can kind of start to feel a little stale after six years mm-hmm. sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. Um, but man, like Joe always gets really good stuff and the scene and he just, the actor just tees it up and knocks it out of the park every yeah. time. But, but Joe, Joe being like, 
the world's best dad, especially when he's the world's best dad and crying because of something bad that's happening, is yeah. just like, you know what I mean? I like know. it's the most emotionally affecting <laughs> stuff on any of these shows. Is when, Je- is when Jesse episodes. Martin is crying because yeah. he's such a great dad. You I know. know. What I mean? <laughs> or Barry telling him when a great dad, like every time he calls him dad and not Joe, yeah. which he usually does at like the end of a season when he's going off and, to meet his potential end or whatever. Like right. he calls him dad one time or something. Like oh, you know, he called him dad. Um, I don't know. Like those, that relationship is one it's of. So good. I'd be hard pressed to find to to look at. Is there a better? Is there a better relationship? Like a more, um, a, like a, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you define better written. But <laughs> is there like a more consistently emotionally affecting relationship between between any two characters in any of these other shows? Can you think of one? Yeah. Between Kara and anybody, or Oliver and anybody. Well, I mean, I really love Kara and 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 uh, Alex's relationship. I think it's it's solid sisterhood yeah. right there. But it's not. No, I mean, you're gonna have a different dynamic based on what. But you're when, but for, when but one no, of them is crying, of when one of them is crying because they love their sister so much, I don't find it as affecting as I do when Joe is crying because because he loves his son so much. You know what I mean? It do, it doesn't hit me as hard. Maybe it's because <laughs> we're new parents. <laughs> well, maybe it's because I have I have parents and I have a son, but I don't have a sister, so maybe that that relationship doesn't I'm sure you can't resonate. speak to that with any sort of authority either, so <laughs> we might as well just move on. But, mm. it, but no, but I just maybe that's it. It's maybe because I I you know, I can empathize with that more than I can with some of these other relationships, you know what I mean? Um but to, but to me it's the most consistently it's compelling really and good. heartfelt relationship. I on think any there's of these just shows. some really good writing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for interper- well-written interpersonal Maybe relationships. I, I think it's really. There's, there's, there's been patches where it felt good. like there was there was there was manufactured melodrama, but maybe the closest is like Oliver and Diggle, and they're like blood brother. Yeah, yeah. Bromance kind of relationship, yeah. you know, where they call each other brother, and every time it's like, oh, I called him. Like that's kind of maybe the closest. Right. But even then, they've had periods where, oh, we've got to have this season. We've got to have them have a falling out and fight in the bunker. And so they, they've, I think it's to their credit that they've never had, they've never done a thing where Joe, like, you're not my son, you know, like oh, I never yeah, want to talk no. to you because I think that would just complete. I think everybody would stop watching at that point. I think it would be too much. It would be way too unbelievable. But you know what I mean? I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't think anybody could stand to watch that scene. I think it'd be too painful to watch a scene where Joe, like, yells at Barry and tells him to Barry. get it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like no. that would be so off-putting. No. That they would never do it. You know what I mean? I don't think they could earn it either because because of the rules for these two characters. But even if like he was being, even if he was being mind controlled or something, like the scene last week on Supergirl oh, where Malefic was controlling Alex yeah, and yeah, she yeah. really ripped into Jean, yeah, right? Yeah. That was that was that was sad. But if you had like someone controlling Joe and he said those same kind of things to Barry, I don't think you could stand to watch it. No. I think it would be so. I think it would be so painful to watch that you would just have to avert your eyes. Because <laughs> I think after yeah. six years, we're so invested in this father-son relationship between them. Anyway, so that was, I mean, I feel like that when they I were also, writing it, when they were like, okay, here's going to be the the For my part, the wind-up, yeah. For my my part, the wind-up was just as good as the pitch. Or Cecile senses something in him. That was wonderful. Oh, my God. When she almost teared up. She's a tremendous actor. But she knows her husband, and she knows also... What we all perceived, which is in that last couple episodes, he's been eerily yeah, he's been at like peace a rock. with it. He's, he's been, like, been oh, the rock. He's, he's been, been like, been oh, you're like, you're like me. You're like, right, we, you're we a serve, cop. We this serve is the people, you you're a cop, and sometimes cops have to throw themselves, have to throw on, themselves the grenade, on the grenade, and that's yeah. just the way it is. And I'm like, 
I, I can buy that he would say that, but I also believe that, like, as soon as he walked out the door after giving that speech, he, he would break into down, tears, right? Yeah. And we didn't get to see that. We didn't get to see it, but, but you know what? Yeah. I, we we kind of felt it, and, like, his quiet moments were just, you know, like, he was it's bottling kind of it in and bottling it in. It takes a while to settle, settle in, I too, know. because how many times it seemed like Barry is dead or oh, is right. going to die? Right. But it takes a while for the finality, for the certainty of this, and Barry's certainty at facing it, and I the know. fact that he's not even going to try to get away from no. it to sort of settle in. Because you... Right. When you when you've got I mean it's obviously it's a heightened ridiculous comic booky situation but when you've got when you love someone like this who puts themselves at risk and seemingly comes close to dying or is thought dead once a week right right after a certain while like oh he's gonna find some way of beating this right and right. then it would take a while for it to like wait not only is he not gonna beat this he's not even gonna try to beat this right he's gonna meet it head on yeah. like Clara and the Raven like that was yeah it's um but I really love the performance that performances plural that um jesse martin had for the character to 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 kind of bottle it up and brush it aside and really put on the brave face and and say you know it's all about the shield it's all about the the strength it's it's just something that has to happen and you know it sucks but you know that we're moving on but here he says what he's been feeling this whole time and like you said it's like cecile's reaction just told us everything we need to know and i'm so glad that she had that chance to 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 get it and to share with us what she knew joe was really feeling on the inside it was just really good just the, the scenes leading up to that and then of course the two of them really talking it out and how unfair and just bogus and painful it is the whole scenario the whole situation and how and at the same time like him being a great dad and being still continually proud of the man barry is in that like on top of everything else this complete unfairness doled out to him by the universe that he's still going into it and facing it like a like a hero and he deserves better. Oh, man, that was just some great writing. And the two of them, I mean, you could kind of feel like the actors went to a deep, deep place where the, <laughs> after a while it wasn't even their characters anymore. Like, they were sad to, to yeah. like, genuinely. Well, the, the, the aspect of it that you brought up there was a really nice touch, too. It wasn't just that he's sad that his son is going to die. It was that whole, like, you deserve better. Yeah. Like. You're a hero. You've done so much. You're a hero. You've done so much. You don't deserve to go out like this. Yeah, you deserve this to grow sucks. old and have a have children and and watch and them grow up and and have and all that stuff that peace. I got to do. Yeah. Like I've been a cop for thirty years and I go out there every day knowing that I could get shot and die, but I didn't. And I yep. risk my life every day, and now I get to enjoy the fruits of that. I get to go home every every day to the woman I love and our little, our little baby, baby girl and everything. And you're not going to get to have that, and that breaks his heart. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. Like knowing your kid is it's like knowing your kid has got a terminal illness or something, yeah. and they're going to die when they're five years old. Yep. You know, like all the stuff they're never going to get to experience. So there, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm sad you're going to die. Like the fact that they were smart enough to write that aspect of it in there too was yeah. was really really sealed it. Um, so Arrow this week, this was called Leap of Faith. Mm-hmm. So this episode, did you notice who this one was directed by? This was directed by Katie Cassidy, who plays uh, Laurel. This was awesome. her directorial, yes! directorial debut. She did great. Yeah, it was good. Oh, I mean, that's it, so awesome. There weren't like a lot of stand, standout, like, wow, that's an amazing shot composition or whatever. But it was well directed. I mean, it's, it didn't stand out as being the most amazingly directed episode of the, of the show or whatever. But neither did it seem no, but it was like solid. a drop-off in quality. Yeah, no. It was, that's she what I'm did, saying. She did and like, job. I mean, she, she balanced the storytelling really well. So that's great. I mean, I know that the script does a whole lot of the, the heavy lifting. That's the point of a script is to, to lay out the, the nature of the story. 
story. But hey, man, that's great! Yay! We need more girls in the director chair. So the yeah. whole the whole thing here was sort of like an Indiana Jones style adventure with Oliver and Thea and Nissa. And the way we leave it at the end is he says a tearful goodbye to Thea. Thea goes off with Nyssa mm-hmm. to turn the League of Assassins into basically a force for good. And yep. he's armed with new information, even more information that makes it seem like the Monitor is maybe up to no good or, mm-hmm. or is lying to them about his true goals. And now he's resolved to to try to, you know, if not stop the Monitor, then at least, you know, get to the heart of what his true agenda is. Yeah, we don't really get any more movement from you know on the other we side. Get... We don't see the monitor or or Lila or I guess do is there a scene with yeah. Lila? Well, well, yeah, well, yeah, the whole the whole thing a... with Lila that's and John where they go say. save Connor. That's right. Yeah. But we don't really get any um, any more. We get I, there's a couple of scenes where she's where she and Diggle are like dancing or whatever, and it definitely seems like she has a stronger um, indication of what's coming than he does. Yes. Uh, of the uh, the real danger that's coming, because presumably she has gotten that from the monitor, unbeknownst to everybody else. Right, but um, known to us. Yeah, uh, and there's the whole thing where they they do their spy thing and they save Connor and his mother. Um, I mean, the big thing that we probably have to. I mean, Renee's daughter Zoe mm-hmm. dies in the future. That's sad. I feel like we never really got too much of a bead on her character. Like she was always just like Renee's sassy daughter in the future. Who's yeah, tough? Yeah, but she did. She, she was, was good. Strong, and the actress, yeah. yeah, I know, but I just feel like we didn't like in the future stuff. I feel like we've gotten the most characterization, obviously, out of William and Mia, and then everybody else is like way uh, below that. But big drop off. I know, but they only have like forty-five seconds of screen time in between the I know, cuts but of she, the regular. I, I feel like that B-plot, character, main, that character, could have been better served by maybe a few more lines here or there. It sort of revealed something about, I don't know, her interests or her her hopes or something aside from just the fact that. You know, she's mad at her dad for seemingly selling out superheroes and wants to be a superhero herself, basically. Yeah. And that was really all we got from her. So it was sad to see her die. But I think what'll be what'll be more interesting is seeing because at the end, right, Mia and and uh, Connor and William are all transported to the present. So this this in some ways seems like um, a vindication for my theory. That yes, the yes. spinoff is actually yes. going to, even though it might star some or all of those characters, is going to take place in the present, not the future. If anything, I think this actually makes that less likely hmm. because there's more story that has to happen in the future, right? Like the, that can't be the last we see of that future because right. things were left in such an unfinished state. So they've got to go back and finish that story. Mm-hmm. So are they going to go back and then Mia's going to come back to the present again? That would seem dumb and redundant, repetitive. Or are or is everybody else going to get sent back to the future, but through some mistake or intention of somebody, Mia is left behind here? Right. In which case, William and Connor end up saving the future without her? That would seem weird because she's the hero of that future right, setting. Right. So either way, I feel like they it's it's the fact that they've come back this soon makes it less likely that she's going to end up staying in the in the present forever. So I don't, so I don't know what they're I don't know what they're going to do. Um, if I if this had happened in during the crossover, which was my bad, and then they you know they save the present and the future at the same time mm-hmm. because of crazy time shenanigans, mm-hmm. and then everybody else gets set back sent back to their future, but she stays here. Yeah, then that would be one thing. But now with seven episodes left, I don't know what they're going to do. Right, the backdoor pilot for the spinoff isn't for another six episodes. She's going to have to be in that, so that's going to have to be in the future. So she's going to have to go it? back. Is it? It's gonna. I think. I guess. Because again, have to be, it has it? Laurel and um, Dinah in it. But then so. it's just another episode of this show. In what way is it a backdoor is pilot? It? I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do. I'm, we'll I'm more. I'm more uh, 
I'm less sure than than before about <laughs> about the setting. Welcome to the land of uncertainty in which I reside all the time. I mean, it's not like it wouldn't be cool to have of the like the seven shows they're going to have on the CW <laughs> to have one of them take place in like this dark Batman Beyond style future. But for all the reasons we talked about last week, I think it would limit a lot of their options. So yeah. I, I so I really don't know what they're going to do. So Titans this week. This one was called Atonement. Um, you remarked that there wasn't really a whole lot of atonement that was achieved. That's true. <laughs> but I think Hold it was on. named Before that because that's on. what Dick was after, not so much because that's, that's what he true. ultimately got. But go, go Hold ahead. Hold on. Something else I, you want to say about yes, that? because you mentioned, and it kind of stuck in my craw until I realized, oh, it wasn't in that. It was actually in Flash. One thing we didn't mention in Flash that you mentioned missing is uh, in Arrow, oddly enough, is uh, the presence of furthering of any sort of monitor, anti-monitor pl- uh, bleh, 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 plot. Um, and the whole point of them going to Nandapar Bat in Arrow was to track down any more information about um, the monitor and verify whether or not he was on the up and up. But what they found was actually pictures that look like the monitor, but in different costume. And so we're surmising that that's actually the anti-monitor. Right. And because the same actor is playing both roles, it's right. conceivable that, that he might that people might mistake one for the other and think that the monitor is actually evil when in fact they don't know that there's this whole other, like his twin brother basically is out there right. and is the real threat. And for all intents and purposes, what worked out to be like the post-credit sequence, I put this in air quotes, but of The Flash where Nash uh, Wells is using the chip that um, Cisco built him in order to sort of, you know, CGI track Yeah, to find the monitor's else. sewer layer, I yeah, guess, that he has. I guess, yeah, I guess he's Is got he a sewer layer. Is he living down there with the Ninja Turtles or something? It must be, I mean. How did he have a sewer layer? In the comics, he had this awesome satellite. Why would he have a, like, he had a, he had a space headquarters. Why would he live in the sewer? Why would he even live anywhere? I thought he was a he's celestial up in the, he's being. He's up in the space, he's, he's monitoring gotta, everything. Right, yeah. He can't so, monitor anything from the sewers except for sewage. But... <laughs> I know, exactly. You just send out your beams everywhere. All right. Day 5029. A lot of people flushing today. More alligators than yesterday. We'll continue to monitor. You know, like, <laughs> there's not really a lot to see. Oh, that's a good one. But no, but it worked out. Um, Yeah, he found the monitor's layer. Or was it the anti-monitor? It looked like the monitor. Like he yeah, saw some, ho- he saw some like projection like a of him holo- walking yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And it looked like, the, I don't some know why he would be able to see that, but whatever. I don't know. That was the magic of the chip. I yeah. don't know. But I'm just bringing that back up because they're not letting that theme go dormant completely. And it's important because it's all going to lead to crisis. So now we've seen the yeah, appearances I, of the monitor I assume, and the anti I assume the Nash so thing was, I assume the reason yeah. he was here was something to do with the monitor. He might get pulled out to, to be pariah. Um, because oh, yeah, maybe I hope this that entity. Happen now. Yeah, but you don't know. I don't know. Because then, because then his origin would be completely different. And Pariah oh, actually true. is a pretty cool origin. I don't want it to be like some Indiana Jones type that just gets wears a costume and and you know what I mean. Like he's got to be the last survivor of an Earth that's doomed to mm-hmm. watch all the other Earths die. Although if that were the case, you think we would have seen him? Well, maybe we maybe he was there when Earth Two was destroyed and he would just. We, right, because we were only right. seeing the inside of the police station. Right, he right, right, right. Somewhere exactly. Else or that's what I'm thinking. Anyway. Um, yeah, we'll see. But it would have been cool to have Tom Cavanaugh up here in, in, at the very end of that Arrow yes. episode. Like, wait, is that Wells? Why is he there? And then we find out why. Um, so, in his pariah costume. That'd so, be good. So Titans. This was, yes, a, good, this was a good episode. Yeah. Um, so I, the, only, the only issue I had with it was that... Did you find it believable that... So we were given new information here, which is that when Dick came back from the church after Deathstroke killed Jericho... Mm-hmm. That he didn't tell the other original Titans the whole truth, mm-hmm. 
that instead he told them that he that Jericho was dead when he got there. Mm-hmm. So do you find it believable that they would have stormed that they would have all quit and stormed off while staring icy daggers at him five years ago, just because Destro killed Jericho and Dick happened to because they the reason why it seemed like they left was because Dick lied about it and covered it up. Well, no, that's not why they left. He didn't lie. That's why they were mad about him in the present. Yes. Why did they storm off five years ago? Because he got this kid killed, right? That was, yeah. Or so we thought. Yeah. But the story he told them wasn't that. It was that he showed up there, that Jericho had gone to meet with Deathstroke, and mm-hmm. Dick, came, Dick went there later and found Jericho dead. Why would that lead to them being mad at him and all quitting? That's a good question. I'm not sure that makes a lot of sense. That's a good I, I was, I was question. I was thinking it through in because because they were all on board with the whole let's use Jericho to get to Slade mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Some of them were starting to falter a little bit, starting to question a little bit by the end, but they were all still pretty much on board with with bringing him aboard. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. As, at least that's my recollection. Yeah, you recollect correctly. And then Jericho got the invitation to meet with his father. And he, I'm trying to remember the sequence of events. Mm-hmm. He got the invitation to meet with his father. Yeah. And then he told Dick about it, right? Yeah. And Dick said, I'm Go. not, not going to interfere. Go. Right. Mm-hmm. And then actually he did interfere. And yeah. It was, and, and through that interference is what got Jericho killed. So we, the audience, know that. And so it made sense that all of his friends would, would storm out on him after that. Yeah. Um, but um, but if, if what he said was, yeah, like... Um, Deathstroke sent a message to his son to meet him and I was worried about him so I went there later that night and found that he had killed him. Why, yeah. did, why did everybody abandon him then? Was it because they blamed... They thought... But, but they, it would be just as much on them, right? Because they were all on board with the whole let's manipulate Jericho plan, right? I feel like it, I don't quite understand why they would have stormed off in the past. I understand why they would have stormed off no, in the you present. Found, you, found a, you found a really good... Yeah. Well, I'm going to call it a plot hole. It makes sense that even even in the present, they're kind of, as Raven pointed out to Donna, they're kind of full of it just by blaming Dick. They're, they're mad that he lied to them. I kind of get that because they've been carrying around this sort of grief and guilt and guilt for for 5 years and they're mad that he lied about it and he kept it from them. But like I said, they were all on board with the whole manipulate Jericho thing. What it, this is they had to know something like this could happen. It is more Dick's fault than anybody else's because right, he literally exactly. got Jericho more. involved in the middle of a firefight right. um, in that church, whereas, you know, Donna didn't, for example. Right. But what the heck did, like, Slade comes in and messes messes Donna up and almost kills her. Does she not think that Dick is going to go after him? Like, she just wanted Dick to go back to the tower and, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like he he only did what any what any of them would have done. Right. So they're... they're their anger at him in the present, while believable, because there's, but the, I feel like there's a lot of you know misplaced anger and transference happening there, as yes. Raven. And I'm glad somebody pointed it out, because otherwise yeah. I'd feel like, wait, are are we are the writers asking us to believe that they're justified right. in their anger yeah, towards him? Nobody's I, saying anything against that. And I feel like that. we're not really supposed to believe that, right? Because it's as much on them as it is on him, and he mm-hmm. kind of knows that too. But of course, it's in his character when written properly to shoulder the blame for these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're kind of getting what the actor said we were going to get, which is like his lowest point here. Yep. And I feel like by the end, he does some weird stuff at the end of this episode. He like walks up to a cop at the airport, punches him, and then lets himself get arrested. Yeah, that was odd. I'm like, what is he but doing? But I feel like there's a plan. Well, yeah, he's got some... So he's not like just suddenly acting suicidal no. and self-destructive. I feel like, although I felt like they could have 
they could have. I feel like he realized something, and not only well, that, but wasn't there something on the news that he was um, uh, reacting to in that moment? Well, he was, was. I think that was supposed to be his moment of of existential crisis, where he turns the corner because he's standing there, he's got his boarding pass, but Gar is calling him on the phone. His phone's buzzing. He's being pulled in like these two directions. Do I do I abandon everybody or do I go back? It felt like it happened a little a little quickly. I wish that they dwelled on that a little bit more, I so that think, we would have yes. we would have understood that this was like his pivot point, um, instead of leaving it on a on a on a note of like, wait, why did he do that? I feel like it would have been cool if we'd seen him like, you know, like straighten up and be like, no, I've got to go back, kind right, of thing, right. instead of ending on an era and a note of like weird mystery, like, wait, why did he punch that cop? Like that, it right. didn't really hit home the whole. No, he's a changed man now, kind of thing. Um, but maybe it's not going to be that sudden. Maybe this is like a longer path. It's going to take him longer to to come right. back around. The scenes of the other characters dealing with what happened happens were interesting. We didn't really get much of Donna. We just got the one scene of her and Raven in the car. Corey goes off to deal with her own completely separate thing um, with Blackfire. And it seems like now she's going to have to go off to Tamaran and deal with that. I think probably some of, the, some of my favorite scenes in this episode, though, were all that Hank and Don stuff. Where they try to go back to their old life. And they they uh, they sing karaoke, and they get ambushed by the sister of the kid that got killed when by Doctor Light, Light at the yeah. beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And then they Hank kind of has a has a bit of a crisis crisis there, and he he drives off in a huff, and it looks like at the end of the episode he broke up with her. He's gonna start to no, he broke up with her. Well, I mean, she's like, go if you want, but I'm staying, and he drives off. Like I think that they're. It's not like no, I'm. I never want to see no, you again. That was a, I don't that love was you a goodbye. Kind of. No, that's what he was saying. He's saying that we bring pain wherever we go. Maybe yeah, the, the world would be a better place if we weren't together. I know, in but it. like Oliver says that every yeah, other every other week, and it was like, oh, he's breaking her up. Her performance with of that, no, but her performance of that um, scene was really, really good. Know, maybe the, I, maybe the I'm just used to good. seeing I self-destructive think that some an, of it, yeah. heroes on TV say that all the time. I'm like, oh, this is not. This is there's no finality to this whatsoever. Maybe I'm judging it unfairly because it's completely different writers on a different network. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe I'm judging it by CW standards. But I feel like, oh, here we go. You know, self-destructive hero is pushing away the people that he cares about because he feels like all he does is bring them pain. Kind right. Of thing. Yet again, I know. Yet again, but that's exactly what he was doing. I think that honestly, like the writing on this show is not bulletproof because one other thing that I did not like was. Um, the stuff with um, Blackfire and Starfire, um, specifically the scene that they had at the end, I thought that it was kind of, for something that's supposed to be re- real and gritty and stuff, like um, um, Starfire took the news that her sister had killed her parents remarkably smoothly. Like she's like, oh, you killed them. Wow. Like that's such a you thing to do. Like what? What? Classic what? Blackfire. Classic Blackfire. You dumb bench. Like what? What is happening? It was just it, the hologram <laughs> thing was a little cheesy too. A like, little, yeah. The know, mind the, possession just, just the type it thing. Was, it was just the way it was. It looked like clearly a superimposed hologram. Like right. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, the the idea of being like body snatched and there's no hope to save him, and he's sort of fighting the thing long enough for her to take the kill shot, but it doesn't really make any sense because if the hologram is smart, is a uh, uh, strong enough to possess a body, then why wouldn't it be strong enough to sort of act of its own free will anyway? So thus making it 
a, a threat in and out of a body. It doesn't make much sense from from that standpoint. But at least we got to see Blackfire. That was cool. Um, but no, in terms of the writing on the show overall, I find I find fault with a little bit here and there. And not only that, but they're doing the classic drummed up drama scene. The one thing that would have been nice in this episode is to balance the negativity and the darkness with the positivity. And they had an opportunity to do that with the whole Gar is keeping down the fort and taking care of Connor thing. And then they took it to a really bad dark place and a preventable place when Connor loses his mind and um, attacks a whole bunch of cops and then basically attacks an entire city. Now by this point he should know that that's not a thing to do because he's already done this mistake before. And here he is making the same mistake again. And here's Gar making the same mistake of his own because he's not calling the person that he's supposed to be calling. Like the two characters in this scenario both made the mistakes that they're making again in this episode. It really is frustrating when the writers don't put a little bit more into doing their homework. Well, Connor was helping that guy. Like, does he even know what a police officer is? Has he ever seen a police officer? He knows that authority figures in uniform are not something to be attacked. And not only that, but the whole idea of attacking somebody is has been explained to him by Eve and then by subsequent interactions as something not to do. And here he is making that same exact mistake again. And then Gar has zero excuse because he doesn't have any sort of, you know, recovery injury or being new to the world or anything like that. So when the whole incident with um, Robin and him in the sewers, not calling Nightwing that like they should have, sorry, not calling Dick, I suppose, because he's not Nightwing yet, um, like they should have, he was supposed to grow and learn from that experience and call the authority figure that he would promise that he would call. Well, in the very next scene, and he then saw he him didn't. calling him. No, because he still didn't call Batman. He was supposed to call Batman so that the Batman Batman he could hook call him up. Batman. He, he no, didn't. He didn't. Pick up. Yeah, he did. There was a scene where he was calling Bruce Wayne and not getting an answer. What are you talking about? There was a scene where he called Bruce Wayne and didn't get an answer. He called Bruce Wayne as soon as Connor woke up, but he was. He, but Bruce Wayne didn't answer. Did you forget that scene? I didn't see it at all. Well, it happened. That was a scene in the episode. No, he picked up the phone and then decided not to call. That's what I'm remembering. That's not the way I remember it. Oh, now I have to go back and take a look because now I'm. I feel bad if I um, chastise him. The kind of thing doesn't bother me that much because he is he is like this childlike person who like it's not like kids only make a mistake once and then you tell them not to do that anymore and they never do that thing again especially when they've got like the Lex Luthor darkness in them or yeah. whatever right like he's, he's trying to do the right thing but he doesn't know his own strength but and he doesn't know his limits and he gets angry sometimes my issue in that entire far. scene has multiple multiple branches no, on I understand. this issue you've, 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 you've explained your no explained not all yours. of them because in that same moment they could have had Gar step in and prevent it from getting any worse but instead he turns tail and runs away and that's such not a gar thing to do and and so i just overall didn't really like this scene um it did seem a little it did seem a little out of un-gar, character for him, yeah. for him to i i bought that he would like i could buy that he would sort of stand there stricken uh, unable to act because he's like oh man like this was all this is all on me and now it's all going horribly wrong i kind of buy that he would he would just freeze up but the fact that he the they had the shot of him like actually turning around and running away did seem a little much a little much for me. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. just not him. I, I mean, know. we haven't really seen him put in too many of these situations so far, though. Like he hasn't actually been in that many crazy like super powered person blowing up parts of the city kind of situations before. It's actually been, with the exception of of Trigon, which he was mostly just like mind controlled for most of. It's been relatively low stakes, like normal humans, sometimes with guns, 
the kind of thing that a guy who could turn into a tiger could handle pretty easily. And his main thing has been like not going too far and not tearing them up right, with his tiger right. powers. Um, plus, I felt like he he kind of thought that he got the he got the easy assignment here. He's just got to loaf around the tower and take care of this sweet kid, and it, and he's the one that actually ends up making the the biggest mistake. And people, I don't know if people died or not, but it seemed like he certainly blew up some police cars, and there were there were cops in there, so maybe people died. I don't know. Pretty sure they died because Connor did not hold back. He crushed them to the side of the things. He threw them across the streets and into buildings. Like you don't come back from that. He did exactly what he did in Lex Luthor's dad's yeah. house. I, I don't mind the things got that that storyline took a dark turn because. First of all, the episode did still have moments of light, like the karaoke scene or or uh, or the earlier scenes in the whole Gar subplot, where he was right, yeah, taking care of the tower, and then he when, was, he, when he and Connor <laughs> were playing video games, Logan's but, log. But the point of of like it's two thirds of the way through the season. The point is like things go from bad to worse, and everything you know, like right. everybody is at their lowest point, and then yep. this is the point at which Dick has to man up and bring the team back together and assume his 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 destiny as like. Nightwing and leader of the Titans. And first thing to do is to take care of Deathstroke because they had an interesting scene, didn't they? (laughs) Because it's like, yeah, like, uh, like, oh, oh, by the way, by the way, way. Deathstroke's in the next, the next room. I thought that that was, and on the surface of it, it it comes across as almost comical, like, oh, like here's Deathstroke just slitting in his Barker lounger. Yeah, Uh, in his jammy jams. But but the idea that he's just like completely spent. And he's like, he barely even has the will to, to dress himself, yeah. except for when the Titans exist. And then he like puts his awesome armor back on and becomes a badass just to destroy them. Yeah. And then he goes back to his sad little existence. Is in keeping with the way we found him at the beginning of the season, right? Yeah. Where he was like this mountain Super man. Super unkempt, yeah. just off somewhere. Who knows even where he was? Which is weird that he would come back to his wife. Is that his wife or his ex-wife? What's the situation? Because they were in the very beginning. Jericho and his, she were hiding from him. Yeah, but that him. was five years ago. I mean, maybe the shared trauma of losing their son brought maybe. them back together. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe he just comes by to watch TV sometimes. <laughs> Because they weren't together at the beginning of the season. Like I say, he was living off in the wilderness, right? right? So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he that's was in what I'm town fighting the Titans. But and he was like, exactly can I crash in your couch yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But I don't know. I kind of like, it, it is definitely like in the comics. It's I confusing. Know. Well, in the, in, it, well, no, it's, I'm not saying that. In the comics, he's he's always this like incredible, he's like the, he's like the evil Batman, basically. He's like this driven, super competent, always five steps ahead of everybody. Nothing can, nothing can defeat him guy who never stops mm-hmm. whereas here he's the and then the comics like the, the what happens to his kids just it maybe makes him a little crazier um a little more reckless but he's not like he stops being a mercenary or whatever but here it seems like and it, kind of in keeping with what we talked about in the last episode where it seems like he actually cared more <laughs> cares more for his kids here like the death of his kid just wrecked him yeah and he just becomes this recluse yep and until he sees one more chance to do to them what what happened to him yeah. you know to destroy dick's dreams and family the way right. his his was destroyed but I, I i always like i always like the scene i like scenes in 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 other movies and tv shows where the hero and the villain are there and they've they've lost so much but they've lost so many of the same things and they have so much shared history together that there's almost a bond between them you know what i mean and and they're sort of like they both lost jericho obviously he meant more to his father than he did to Dick, who'd only known him for like a couple months or something. Yeah. But 
Um, but did you, do you know what I mean? Like there, there was almost, there was almost. I think a, that's a stretch. I don't even think that the writers are going to go that deep. But I don't know. Like maybe I'm just getting it from the comics, where, where maybe where yeah. he would become an even an ally of the Titans sometimes because when there's so much shared history there, yeah. and he, they know him so well, and he knows them so well that when their goals align. As they, they as have they, no trouble as, working as they, together. They have no yeah. trouble working together because there's almost like a mutual, despite everything that's happened between there's them. There's an understanding. There's a mutual. There's sort of a mutual respect there almost because they both, you know, you know what I mean. Like, it's 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 sort of this weird twisted thing. Like 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 if, if Batman has to work alongside Bane or Rachel Ghoul sometimes. Like he knows that they're he knows that they're evil. There's a mutual understanding. But there's like he respects he respects their their accomplishments and their and how how and their effectiveness you and are their, a worthy opponent well yeah, and their yeah. and their drive and their yeah. their like self-possessed nature well, yeah, and everything sure. else right mm-hmm. um in the way that he wouldn't you know he, he wouldn't enjoy he wouldn't have a fun time working alongside the joker or whatever or, yeah. but if his lot was thrown in with deathstroke or something batman and deathstroke you could see them kind of like having an uneasy alliance and a mutual respect because they're both the best of their respective sides or whatever right and he's like you know, I I empathize with you know we both lost kids and we both you know what I mean like there could be a there could be a connection there. I always kind of I, I always sort of find an interest in the the relationship between Nightwing and Deathstroke because they have all this shared history and they both cost each other so much, but they both have been through so much together as a result and they know each other so well that that when they let their guard down sometimes there is almost like a a bond between them where you could kind of see them like. After they fight each other for the 50 millionth time, you could almost see them like having a beer together and like, I hate you, I hate you too, but let's just sit here and like respect respect the moment for a second and then we'll go back to fighting each other tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could almost buy if if Dick had almost like had sat down next to him and they like had a beer together and then like, by the way, I still hate you, I hate you too. And then they'd gone their separate ways, never seen each other again. But let's just have a moment here to... To honor the people that we both lost. Not the way and, this show is written. No, but I mean, I, I I did like that scene because you you do get the sense like. I mean, they were in a room together. That didn't really strike me as a very compelling scene. Not from my end. I, I think you're bringing a lot of history from the comics to it, and that's fine because that's exactly what the nature of this show is supposed to evoke: is like a nostalgic, yay, our heroes are in live action type of thing. But for me, they're still relatively new, and especially the relationship between Deathstroke and the Teen Titans, or the Titans, as I should say, um, is is rather new. That I don't see anything in this scene more than what was given to me by the writers and the performances and the performances were great but the writing was kind of like okay that's weird like okay great so Deathstroke's in the other room yeah all right and now this person that was just a threat like five seconds ago suddenly can't even get up out of his chair and looks like he's been wearing pajamas for four days straight. Well, but that's, like, but that's what I like. The fact that he, he is completely spent. He's got nothing left except when the Titans exist. And then he will 100% devote his entire life to destroying them. And then so what, basically all Dick has to do is just wait for him to get really fat and then put the put the no, Titans the, back together. When the Titans are gone, he's just going to go back to barely existing. But when the, but the only thing that could give his life any meaning anymore is if there are Titans to destroy. Okay. And when that's been done, he just goes back to a sad little existence. I find that to be like a, an, an interesting endpoint for for this this version of the character. And I like the fact he's like, look, I, I, you destroyed everything I care about and I destroyed everything you care about. So as far as I'm concerned, we're even, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I've got, you know, I've got nothing left. You've got nothing left. Let's just acknowledge that and go our separate ways. But just so you know, (laughs) if you ever put the Titans back together again, 
I'll kill her. I'll, I'll, last one I'll come back yeah. at you again. But I, I like that sort of mutual. There's you. You might not see you know the, all the what I was maybe reading too much into it about like possibly like a, a bit of a shared respect or whatever there. But they have like this this understanding. Like they understand each yeah, other. Yeah, I mean and they, they didn't leap at each other and fight each other, and I appreciate that part of it because it makes it a little bit more of an interesting scene. Yeah, but. I don't know. I guess it just didn't feel as deep to me as it did to you. Maybe that's it's just like, a matter of subjective it's like perception. The, it's like the it's Joker just... in The Dark Knight Returns, right? Like Batman retires. He's gone for 20 yeah. years or whatever. And the Joker just becomes a vegetable in Arkham Asylum. Like he hasn't moved. Because he hasn't got he hasn't the moved fun or spoken partner in 20 years. to but play But as soon with. as Batman comes back, he's like, he's like beep, beep, beep. He's like, oh, the game is afoot again, right? Yeah. And he's back and he's worse than he ever was in one final blaze of glory, right? right it's right. kind of the same thing here. To me, like I, I like that. Like, there's this this person has gotten nothing except for his hatred of this one group, group of people. That he feels and and stole everything you know, and him, when they're yeah. gone, he just goes back to this sad existence, and he's like, nobody will ever. I, I like, I like, I like the fact that he hung it up. Like, he's not a mercenary anymore because he's got, he's got nothing left. He's got no drive. He's got no anger. He's got no passion. There's nothing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that that's interesting. Is like an older. Um, more more embittered version of of Deathstroke as opposed to the so the fact that he's got white hair in the current comics like the serum or whatever they gave him right. seems like he keeps him perpetually young despite the fact that he's got the white hair. This guy seems like he's he's got done. Yeah, he's just done. I, I, yeah. I think that's an interesting take on him. So I don't know if he'll. I mean, obviously the Titans are going to come back at the get back together at the end. Oh yeah, um, so we're gonna see Deathstroke again if they get if they get back together to fight him. That's kind of that's kind of. Not self-defeating, but it's like he's not a threat unless you get back. To, you know what I mean? It's sort of like this weird logical logical loop. Like if you want to defeat him, just don't get back together. Well, right? yeah. But obviously if they didn't do that, we would never show. Just wait him out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Yeah. It's like just wait for him to put on like 40 pounds and then get the team back together. And it'll be like, oh, wait a minute. I'll take that this stroke shot now. <gasps> yeah. I can't lift my sword. I don't remember it being this heavy. I should have kept up with my weight. But if the whole yeah. team, if the whole team composed of all the characters we've seen so far on the show get together, I feel like like he didn't he he did an okay job fighting. Like he can him versus Dick. Yeah, he'll probably win. Corey, no, nope. and J- Corey nope. involved himself a little bit in the last time, and he feel like he was taking a. Be- what are you saying? Nope for? No, no, no. He, Corey would kick his butt. Well, she didn't last time. She came close. I mean, he was taken aback because he didn't know this, right. like, alien princess with energy blast was coming at him. But then his, like, tactical mind took over and he was able to, like, solve the situation, even if only I temporarily. Know. But I feel like if he's got to face them, plus Raven, plus Superboy, plus, you know what I mean? Like, Hawk and Dove, probably not going to make much of a difference, right? Because they're just regular people. Right. Yeah. But if you got, if, as soon as you got Superboy and Beast Boy and Raven, plus Wonder Girl, plus, or whatever, I guess he doesn't call herself Wonder Girl anymore, plus Donna, plus Starfire, maybe Starfire goes back to her home planet mm-hmm. um poochie style then um <laughs> then maybe she won't be a factor but i feel like if they actually do come back together in full force it i i almost see it being yeah. I, I have trouble seeing it being any kind of fair fight you know what i mean yeah although there were, i mean god knows there's been many times in the comics where he's they've written him as taking on like the entire justice league and much like batman versus a bunch of crazy superpower people if written well it's believable that he could like outthink them in some really clever way you right, know right um like there was, I don't know, I'm trying to remember, like Brad Meltzer in Identity Crisis wrote him versus most of the Justice League and he managed to take down Wally West Flash, Kyle Rayner, who else was there? Black Lightning, I think, was there, maybe Zatanna. Mm-hmm. And he like, like he, you know, he took out, he took out Black Canary's throat or something like that. And then he like did something, he like 
did something yeah. that did something to Kyle's hand, like he he did something to Kyle's hand, so he couldn't do the thing, and he knew that Wally would do this, and so he was because his his brain is like super fast. Also, he had his sword already in that position, so Wally ran right into it or something. Like mm-hmm. if written well and with the pacing of a comic book, yeah. where you can like take the time to explain every single instant of the fight and it can happen at the speed that you the writer determine yeah. you can buy him dismantling a really superpowered team but when in live action we're like why don't they all just dogpile him all at once like yeah. he couldn't stand up to that it's harder in live action it's almost like when they were doing justice league bruce tim was like it's hard to write a f- fight scene with the flash there in comics you can pace it however you want so mm-hmm. it's like if you don't see the flash for a few panels you don't doesn't really occur to you but on on tv you're like wait he's here why doesn't he just go it's the same thing on the flash tv show yeah. Right. He always has to zoom into the scene, stop, mm-hmm. talk to the villain, yeah. assess them. Like, no, just stay at super speed. They won't even see you coming. Right. But every time he's got to stop, talk to them, be like, this time I'm going to get you. And he lets them spring their crazy trap. Right. If he just kept moving at super speed, always at super speed, nobody would ever be able to stop him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he never does that. That's the sort of thing doesn't really occur to you in comics because of the way that you can control the pacing and select what moments you see. But... In television, it it's becomes less plausible. So I don't know. We'll have to see how they how they do it in such a way that I'm assuming he's going to be the big threat they fight at the end of the season. Right. Maybe it's going to be Blackfire or something. But I feel like they've set him up as the big bad of the season. But yeah, we'll yeah, see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So you, that's it for our shows. Yep. And uh, don't get me wrong, I am enjoying it. It's just that I find the the flaws. It's not like a hundred percent perfect. It's you know, 70% perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you want to reach out to the show, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... Oh! Ooh, what was that? Crypto. Oh. <laughs>